I would invite you to, to turn back to Ruth chapter 1. I'm sure uh, many of you will have heard of, if not seen, the uh, American legal or, uh, I suppose, legal and political drama, The Good Wife. Okay? The Good Wife. It's a very sort of popular uh, TV program just now. And in The Good Wife, there's a really fascinating character uh, by the name of Eli Gold. Eli Gold kind of plays the role of the, 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 the legal firm's crisis manager. That's what he is, a crisis manager. So this is where, um, let's say it's a political party or a company, they, get, they have a disaster. They get into a real problem and they will come to Eli Gold with this. And somehow, Eli Gold will just manage to, to, to sort everything out and he'll smooth everything over. He is a crisis manager. And I, uh, I remember sort of sitting watching the, the good wife a while ago and just thinking, you know, wow, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be fantastic if when we get into a problem or if a disaster strikes our lives that we could just pick up a phone and phone Eli Gold and he would be able to come in and sort out everything. It would be great. But as we all know, life is not as simple and as straightforward that. So tonight what we're going to do is turn to God's words and we're going to consider what we learn here about how, how we should respond to disasters. You know, how we should respond to, 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 to a crisis and to a problem that affects our lives. And, and, and what we'll do, look at Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to think about the three main characters that we meet here and how they respond to, to the crisis. Peter Bad, the three main characters. So the sermon title is nothing uh, too highfalutin or fancy, is it? Basically, we've got tonight three reactions to crisis. And that's what we're looking at. Three reactions or responses to crisis. So if you haven't already, please pick up your Bible and turn it to Ruth 1. And let's think about the first one. The first character, Naomi. And Naomi's mixed response to crisis. That's where we'll go first of all. Naomi's mixed response to crisis. So the... the, the, the the book of Ruth begins in a, an incredibly downbeat kind of way, doesn't it? The book begins in an almost sort of depressing fashion because we start and what we see are two major problems that hit Naomi's life, don't we? Two of them. First of all, we, we hear about this famine in the land, a famine that hits the whole area um, around Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. Now, let's stop. And just imagine what that would be like. Imagine 
how horrendous that would be for Naomi, a mother. A famine. Day after day, this means that she is scraping around for food. Day after day, she's scraping around trying to feed her household, trying to feed her husband, trying to feed her kids. This would be be an awful situation to be in, wouldn't it? And that's bad enough. But then there's this second, and I guess it's a a, a more lasting element to the crisis. And there's a second crisis... Because what happens, due to the famine, famine, Naomi and her family, they leave, don't they? There's not enough food, so they move to Moab, and there what happens? Well, there we, we learn that Naomi, not only does Naomi's husband die, but Naomi's children pass away too. Isn't that horrendous? I mean, that is a, an, an almost unimaginably awful situation for this woman to find herself in. So, what does she do? How does she react? Well, I'm sure that, that you, you gathered from the, the, the title for this first point that Naomi, in the face of that sort of a crisis, has a kind of sort of confused or mixed response. And in fact, what we could say is that Her response, there's a sort of positive and a negative side to Naomi's reaction. There's a positive side and a negative side. What do do I mean? Well, positively, even in her, her utter misery here, that Naomi never loses sight of the sovereignty of God. She never loses sight of the fact that God is in control here. She never loses sight of the fact that he is supreme over these circumstances. Now she might get really bitter about it, and she does, and we'll come to that in a moment. But all the way through the the chapter, all the way through, right to the end, she retains this world view that sees God as sovereign. Just look what we're told. Follow me here. Look what we're told in the chapter. We see that she acknowledges to her daughters-in-law that it's the Lord's hand that's involved here. Then we've got to use a very, very unusual name for God in verse 20. The NIV, if you can see it in verse 20, the NIV translates it as Almighty God. But see, in the original, it's a, it's a, it's a name that, 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 that speaks about the control that God has. It's a name that speaks about his, his infinite power. And then we've got here, even at the end of the chapter, you know that? Those interesting verses where she, she's really bitter when she's speaking to the women in Bethlehem. Well, even there, she never deviates from this belief that, that, that God is above all and that God is in control of all things she never ever loses sight of the sovereignty of God I think we see a really crucial lesson there for how you and I should deal with disaster you know how how we should deal with problems in our lives because 
I'm sure you'd agree. It's very easy to adhere to the sovereignty of God and the supremacy of God when things are going okay, isn't it? You know, things are going great for our inner lives. Well, God is in control. But it's not always the same when things are going against us, is it? Not at all. When there's a problem in our lives, it is much more difficult, but yet it is much more crucial to cling to the fact that even the disasters, even the the terrible things in our lives, are all still within the hand of God. In crisis, we must see that God is sovereign. And Naomi can see that. So she remains fixed in the sovereignty of God. We get it. But I did say that there was a sort of, I said there was a positive thing. But I also said with Naomi that there was a negative thing too. So what's the negative thing? Well, Naomi doesn't just acknowledge the, the sovereignty of God. What she does is kind of go beyond that, doesn't she? And she begins to regard God as against her. She sees God as opposing her through this tragedy. I'll give you a few examples. Look what she says here. Verse 13, she says that the Lord's hand is against her. Verse 21, she's blaming God. She says, the Lord's afflicted her and brought her misfortune. Crucially, verse 21, she also says that she was fool, but the Lord has acted to make her empty. And even as this kind of new name that she gives herself, Mara, as that name suggests, Naomi is bitter, isn't she? And she is bitter with the Lord. She feels that the Lord is acting, and he is acting in hostility. He's acting against her. Now, folks, do you see what's happening there with Naomi? Naomi is being blinded by her crisis. She's being blinded by her crisis. You know, because of these horrible things that have happened to her, Naomi is losing perspective. And she's not seeing things as she should see them because... You see, no matter how bad these things were, God wasn't against her, was he? I mean, God wasn't acting in hostility against against Naomi. I mean, what's, what's God done? God, he brings food back to her people. And then what does he do? He takes Naomi safely back to, to, to Bethlehem. And I think perhaps the best example is the way that Naomi speaks to these women. You know, these, these women in Bethlehem. Look how she speaks to them. It's all about her, isn't it? Look at it. It's, it's all about me, me, me. She says, the Lord brought me back. Then she says, the Lord has afflicted me What she lost sight of there? What she not seeing? Who's standing next to her? 
The Lord isn't standing against her. The Lord has provided someone for her who will love her and care for her till her dying day. The Lord has provided Ruth. And friends, I say to you tonight that when a crisis strikes our lives, no matter what, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that God is a God of love. He is. And we can hold on to sovereignty in crisis, and that is incredibly important. But we must never think that God is against us. You know, when a, a problem hits your life, don't think that it's because God is spiteful or that he is vengeful or that he is against you. You know, as, as the people of God, we really often cite that, that verse in Romans, don't we? That all things work together for the good of those who, who, who love God. But it is true. And they do. So I would say tonight, do not allow the disasters of your life to blind you to the love of God. And when, a, when a crisis comes, you focus on the goodness of your Heavenly Father. When a crisis comes... Focus on the, 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 the marvel of the, the grace that he's shown you. When a crisis comes, focus on the, the wonder of your salvation. Focus on those things. Because you see, Naomi moans here. And she complains that the Lord has acted and the Lord has made me empty. But you see, the whole of the rest of this book of Ruth. Do you know what it's going to show? It's going to show that God is acting, and God is acting to fill Naomi, to fill her with blessing, to fill her with goodness, the light of which she has never, ever, ever imagined before. So in crisis, cling to the fact that God is in control, but also cling to the fact that God loves you. So Naomi's mixed reaction to crisis. Okay, we'll move on. And I said we were looking at the characters. So we see Naomi. Let's consider a second character in the story. And let's consider Orpah's wayward response to crisis. Orpah. Orpah's wayward response. Now, um, I had a friend a good few years ago, um, a good chap by the name of Matt. And, you know, Matt was one of these guys, he'd had a, a, a fairly hard life, a few things going on in his life. And at this time that I'm talking about, he, he, he had a couple of pretty serious health problems. But at that time, what he did was to start showing an interest in spiritual things. And he started talking about Christianity and eventually he would ask some good questions and he started attending church. He starts showing some good signs, asking the right things. I think he even came to an understanding about sin 
and would refer to himself as a sinner. But then, all of a sudden, Matt dropped off the radar. Just like that. You know, he stopped going to church. We didn't see him again at church at all. He distanced himself from us. He distanced himself from any of his Christian friends. We didn't see him. And he went back to the way that he used to live. And I think we see something of that with Orpah. Because you see, we've got, in this portion of scripture, we have got two lands, don't we? We have got one hand, we have got mention of Moab. Moab with all its idolatry and with all its uh, immorality and all its false gods. We've got Moab. But on the other hand, what do we have? We've got Bethlehem. We have got the covenant land. We've got the land where God dwells. So the question is, when faced with this crisis, where does Orpah go? What does she do? What do we think, need to think about here? Well, first of all, note that, that Orpah also is in a situation of crisis. Okay, think about that. Orpah is also in a situation of crisis. Sometimes I think we can just pass over that, can't we? You know, we pass over Orpah and we focus, maybe on Ruth, but focus primarily on Naomi's misery, don't we? But Orpah is also in a sort of horrible situation. You know, she's a woman who has seen her husband die. On top of that... She's a woman who's seen her father-in-law pass away. She's seen her brother-in-law die too. So Orpah's world, just like Naomi's, Orpah's world has is, is, is collapsed all around her. And they note too that, and this is important, Orpah is faced with a choice. Because you see, these, these three women... In some ways, you know, they, they get good news. They're in Moab, but they hear that there's food available for them in Bethlehem. And, you know, they imagine that they pack up whatever belongings they've got. And they make their way, begin to make their way back to Naomi's homeland. But along the way, on that journey, Orpah's faced with a choice. Twice, Naomi gets to her. And twice he urges her to go back, not to go to Bethlehem but to return to Moab do you see what we've got here in crisis Orpah has got a choice she can continue along the road to God and the covenant people or she can turn round and she can go back to Moab and its gods Orpah has a choice in crisis and then note that because of the cost involved here, that Orpah decides to go back. You see, she definitely thought about going to Bethlehem. She starts the journey. She definitely thought about making a movement towards Yahweh and his people. But then she hears from Naomi that this new life is going to be a costly life. 
This new life is, is going to involve sacrifice. So you hear from Naomi that if she continues to, to Yahweh and, and his people, that she might not be able to marry again. You know, that's unlikely she's going to have kids. It's unlikely that she's going to have any sort of material prosperity. And because of that, because of the cost, what does Orba do? She turns around and she goes home. Now, does that not sound familiar to you? I say especially to the older Christians here. You know, people have been Christians for a long time. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? You know, we've all seen people who kind of do what Orpah does here. You know, we've seen people who, you know, because of a crisis, let's say, in their life, that they perhaps begin to see the attractiveness of a new life in Jesus. You know, they make all the right sounds. They, they, they see the attractiveness of, of a new life dwelling with God. But it's the same old story for so many of these people that because of the cost involved in that life, <laughs> they turn around and they go home. You know, these are people who break our hearts because you know, very often we have gone on that road with them and at one point they've just turned to us and very consciously and very deliberately just said no goodbye they have turned and they have walked away and really tonight we mention Orpah so that if anyone is in here and in that same situation, that they would see that that is not the thing to do. You know, are you in here tonight where you are considering coming to God? Are you in a situation where be, perhaps maybe because of a crisis, perhaps because of a, some trouble or a problem in your life, that you're beginning to see the attractiveness of a new land, the attractiveness of a land of forgiven sin in Jesus Christ. Now, is that you? If so, I would say don't do what Orpah did and don't stop and don't don't turn around. I mean, come on, you're, you're in here tonight. You're in this room tonight. So you've already begun the journey. So I would say make that final step and, and go to Bethlehem and repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Orpah's wayward response to crisis. So we see Naomi. You know, we've seen that there's a positive thing that Naomi does and the sovereignty of God trusting in that. And then there's the, the, the negative thing. We've seen Orpah, that she makes this move towards Yahweh because of, of crisis. She makes a move towards the Lord, but then turns around. But we're going to close just with looking at the third character. You know where I'm going? We're going to Ruth. And our third point is Ruth's committed response. 
to crisis. Her committed response. So what do we need to know? What do we need to see about Ruth? Well, note that, that, that first of all, that Ruth, like Orpah, is given a choice. Isn't she? I mean, in fact, she's, she's given exactly the same costly choice that confronted Orpah. She could continue with her mother-in-law and make that journey, or she could turn around and go back to that, that, that previous life of hers. But note that her reaction to crisis is the polar opposite to Orpah. Because she doesn't run back to that sort of temporal security. Look what Ruth does. What does Ruth do? She speaks. And she speaks to Naomi. And I tell you this. She utters some of the most profoundly beautiful words that have ever been spoken, doesn't she? We've got some of the most profoundly beautiful words in all the scripture right here in Ruth chapter 1. Because she makes this declaration of kind of what we call an unconditional devotion. In verse 16 and onward, she says, hey, Don't urge me to, to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay, and so on. But, friends, please see that that beautiful statement is also a commitment to God. It is a commitment to God. You know, we read it, and it's very, you know, it's a familiar passage, it's a familiar statement, and it's used at weddings quite a lot. And we sort of read it, and we focus on the fact that Ruth's making this loving, kind of, almost sort of undying commitment to Naomi. And we focus on that, that it's, that it's about Naomi, and, and quite rightly. But there's something deeper there. There's something more fundamental. Because Ruth is committing herself to Naomi, but also to Naomi's people, and she's making a commitment to Naomi's God. Just listen to what she says. She says, Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And... We need to understand that those are not just, that's not just an empty expression. Those are not just empty words. Because look in the very next verse. Ruth uses the, the covenantal name of God. In the very next verse, after making this commitment, Ruth uses the, the personal name of God. She uses the name that signifies what would be a real relationship. She says... Yahweh. And see the, the, the sheer determination that she shows. This is a girl or a woman whose life has changed because of crisis. And it's, it's, a, it's a woman whose husband has died. Her life will never ever be the same again. And just look at how determined she is to go to the covenant land. You know, verse 14, you know, we, we, we see sort of Orpah turn away, but Ruth doesn't do that. She clings to Naomi. 
verse 16, we've got that, that expression of devotion. Verse 17, she invokes the name of the Lord to punish her if, if she doesn't continue to, to him and to Bethlehem and to Naomi's people. And then it kind of all gets to this point. It gets to this point in verse 18. Imagine on the road and Naomi just has to kind of throw her hands up in the air and just give up. You know, she's tried, but she cannot convince Ruth to go back. Why not? Because she is determined to go with Naomi to the covenant land, determined to go to Yahweh. And as we close, I think it is there with the determination of Ruth that we see how Christians should respond problems in their life. When faced with a crisis, we should commit ourselves to the people of God and then secondly commit ourselves to God. We should commit ourselves to the people of God and commit ourselves to God. Commit ourselves to the people of God. What do I mean? Well, we should... When crisis hits, we should speak to the people that God has given us. You know, we should lean on our fellow Christians. We should share with our fellow fellow Christians. We should talk through crisis with our fellow Christians. We should pray with them. Like Ruth, in crisis, we commit ourselves to the people of God. But more importantly... And this is where we end. In crisis, we respond by committing ourselves to God. We should, like Ruth, pursue God in crisis. We should, like Ruth, journey to God. And do that frequently. Do it daily. In crisis, we seek Christ. And we do that above everything else. Because you see, we began the sermon um, talking about that that dude from uh, The Good Wife. Eli Gold. This guy supposedly gets paid to manage a crisis. Well, as Christians, we don't have a crisis manager. But I tell you this, we do have something much greater than that, don't we? We have a sovereign God. We have a God who is on our side. We have a God that cares for us. So how do we respond to crisis? Respond by entrusting ourselves to God's unfailing love. Let's pray.